taking of the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. rectify itself here pretty soon uh, so if you're um, if you are watching by way of YouTube and you're having difficulties uh, logging on go over to the Facebook edition of Bellator Christie and we'll try to get the uh, video uploaded uh, here very very soon so anyhow Hebrews chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today and the goal is to try to keep this uh, under 30 minutes if possible uh, so before we begin let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer Dear kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the bountiful blessings that you've given uh, upon us and to us each and every day of our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would bless over us and keep us. Uh, Lord, as we go through this study, we pray, Lord, as we know that you are supreme above all things. And we just pray that you would uh, direct our attention uh, to your supremacy and uh, guide us and direct us as we go through this Bible study tonight. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, there we go. So we are live now on YouTube and also on Facebook. Once again, we are looking at Hebrews chapter 3. Thus far, we've already seen through our study in the book of Hebrews uh, that the most likely candidates for uh, writing the book of Hebrews is either Luke or... Uh, or Barnabas. Uh, in either either sense, either way, they were probably most likely appointed uh, by uh, Paul to bring forth an address. In fact, Dr. Persra, speaking with him on Facebook, and he even had the idea that, that uh, Luke may have even recorded a sermon under the direction of Paul and, and basically posted that and recorded that in the book of Hebrews. That's a possibility. Uh, I think Oregon of Alexandria is right when he says that in the end, only God truly knows who wrote the book of Hebrews. Already thus far, we've seen in our study, uh, we see we have seen that uh, Jesus is supreme, supreme uh, the supremacy of Jesus over angels. We've seen the supremacy of Jesus over prophets. Well, now we're going to take a look at Jesus' supremacy even over Moses' law. So even over the law that Moses had. So Hebrews chapter 3 is where we are. Let's begin. Uh, we're going to look at uh, three sections today. Uh, we're going to look, to look at uh, Jesus is superior to God's law because of his sonship in verses 1 through uh, 6. Uh, we'll see Jesus' covenant is superior to Moses' law because of hard-hearted souls and verses 7 through 19. So that will take us to the duration, to the end of the study itself. So as we begin, uh, we see that, um, that, that the early church, uh, the early church w- was facing many difficulties. Uh, they faced a lot of different uh, problems as in regard to um, heresies that tried to get into the church. Uh, so for instance, you see on the one hand, uh, you see the Judaizers. The Judaizers were the individuals who 
try to stress the law over grace. In fact, it was legalistic to the core, and um, legalistic to the core. So, uh, in in um, on the other hand, you have the another group called the Antinomians, and the Antinomians were individuals who said that the Word of God was not important at all. Uh, so they anti meaning against no 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 meaning the law antinomians. So um, so we see that there were these two ancient heresies that were that were developing early on, and and so sin itself uh, often tries to um, it's like an electrical current as such. It grabs us. It doesn't want to let go. And so um, in that regard. Um, so anyhow, uh, we see that th- we see that there were two ancient heresies: the Judaizers, the Antinomians. The Judaizers were legalistic, saying that they, you had to keep the law in its minute form. The Antinomians would say that uh, that the law was not necessary. You could basically go and do as you please. And as we were saying, that sin is like an electrical current; it grabs hold of you and it doesn't want to let go. But what we're going to find is that Jesus, throughout this text, Jesus is superior to the law of Moses, and we'll see this in two different means, as we had mentioned previously. So, first and foremost, let's let's look into how Jesus is superior to Moses's law because of his sonship, because of the identity of who he is. So we see in first uh, the first two verses that Jesus is faithful to God's plan. He says, "Therefore, now any time I was always told, any time in uh, interpreting the word of God, any time you see the word therefore, you need to stop and see what the word is there for." The author is getting ready to introduce a an important topic. So, therefore. Holy brothers and sisters. And the term here is open. Now, I know there's a lot of talk about gender-inclusive translations today, but uh, some of the Greek terms are open to the possibility that he's talking to uh, both men and women. And this is one of those cases. Uh, He is is talking to the church in general. So, uh, holy brothers and sisters, uh, men and women are included here, who share in a heavenly calling, this calling that God has given us, okay? Consider Jesus, the apostle, the apostolos, the one who is sent forth, the one who is the messenger. Um, we understand that the apostles were messengers of Jesus, but on the same and on the same token, Jesus was the revealer of God's truth. So he was the apostle and high priest of our confession, the only high priest we need. The word says. Uh, so we let's let's stop here in verse one. The, therefore, refers back to the previous chapter. Christ is not only superior to the prophets and angels, but we see that he is superior to the law of Moses as well. Uh, Hebrews gives two de- descriptions of New Testament Christians. One that we are holy brothers and sisters, indicating that we have been set apart from the world. You've probably heard the old adage, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And I think that's a bad biblical biblical um, uh, perspective, that we are living in this world. However, we are uh, called to be higher, to be better than the world. Uh, they, are, they have a heavenly calling. God gives us a special calling as we carry on the uh, what sometimes seems ordinary tasks from day to day. 
Um, so, so what may seem ordinary may be to God extraordinary. And so we need to remember that. No matter what we do, do it for the glory of God. And so to consider Jesus, we're, con- we're fixing our thoughts on Jesus. Uh, this calls us to reflect on the significance that Jesus plays on our lives. How important is Jesus to you? How important is your walk with Christ in your life? That's a question we all must ask ourselves. And so by reflecting on Jesus, they would understand that Jesus was both an apostle, a messenger sent forth with the revelation of God, and he was also the high priest, our representative before God, uh, making an appeal on our behalf. Jesus is our perfect advocate. In verse 2, we see that Jesus is the perfect apostle or prophet and priest. His position required him to be perfectly faithful. While both Moses and Jesus were faithful in their tasks, Jesus' position made his faithfulness even more important to the divine plan. Because if Jesus wasn't perfect, if Jesus did not fulfill the command and law of God, then we would not have salvation as we have it. So Jesus was faithful to the Father's plan to the nth degree. Now in verses 3 through 4, we see that Jesus is the builder of God's place. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now now, now catch this. There's a transcendent nature to the building process. Now, we, we built, I'm, I'm in the house that we built recently. And so while our house is wonderful and glorious, there's a transcendence about it that there was something greater than the materials at work at hand. So there was a conscious being behind the construction of the, of the building. And so likewise, uh, there's this transcendence that, that emanates and penetrates throughout the work that God does that we see that is in Jesus. Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house, because Moses was, was bringing forth the plan that Jesus, if we understand his identity, was bringing forth. Jesus was the master builder, and Moses was the one who was building according to the plan of God. So now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. So here again, we see that even though there are structures, there are things that that we have creation, the more important aspect is the transcendence behind that creation, the, the God who is behind all things. So Verse 6 gives two reasons why Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus was faithful. um, Excuse me, I'm sorry, I I jumped ahead. Uh, Let's look at verses 5 and 6. Jesus is the ruler of God's people. Uh, Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Okay, so first of all, we see we're given two reasons in verse 6 as to why Jesus is superior to Moses. One, Jesus was a faithful son. Jesus was faithful as a son. While Moses was a faithful servant, Jesus was the Son of God. He was a faithful son, which means he holds preeminence over Moses because he is the divine Son of God who existed before all eternity. Secondly, Jesus was over God's household. While Moses was a faithful 
in his, in his obedience in serving the household of God, Jesus is faithful in ruling over the household of God. This is something that I recently, I recently finished um, my uh, critical reviews for bibliology, which is by all means one of the most difficult courses in the Ph.D. program in theology and apologetics at Liberty University. Uh, Dr. John Morrison is a wonderful professor and, and uh, just a genius of a man, quite frankly. Uh, but but, but there, there's a lot of workload in, in this. But, but I'm, I'm really appreciative of the things we read because this gave me a new insight on several different areas. And one of the things that I found was in the teachings of Karl Barth. I didn't agree with Karl Barth on everything. But it's intriguing how he shows that even in the written text, the Word of God, we have the written Scripture but we also have the Word of God who gives the Scripture meaning, the eternal communication revealer of God, which is transcendent beyond the scope of the written Word. It's a very fascinating concept, and I think he may be on to something, Bart was. Now, again, I don't agree with Bart's presuppositionalism. I don't agree with his, his uh, stance against natural theology. I, I believe natural theology has... Uh, a home in Christian th- uh, orthodoxy, Christian theology, and Christian apologetics. But having said all that, I think we see something comparable to what Bart was saying in this: that we, um, that while we we have the household, Jesus is superior to the household. He is the head of the household. And as Bart says, he says, if if a church does not submit to the authority of the Word of God then there's a question as to whether that church is really a church. You know, we we stress autonomy in a lot of our congregations, but quite frankly, we would not exist if it were not for Christ because the church is Christ's church. So we're not completely autonomous if we think about that. We can't be completely autonomous because we have a superior head above us, which is Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, we are said to be in God's household if two conditions are met. One, we hold to our confidence. That means we hold to the trust that we have in Jesus. And secondly, we must hold to our hope. We joyfully look forward to the day we are in heaven and that Christ returns. Do we have that penetrating, confident hope in our lives? Do we have that confidence? And beloved, I tell you, if you look on social media, it doesn't appear as if we have the confidence we need to have in Christ. Because we're worried about so many things. We're stressed and anxious about so many things going on in our world. But let's be honest. God is sovereign and He is in control of it all. So as long as God is in control, that's all that really matters. Amen? So Michael Rydelnik demonstrates that a structure of the sentence is an evidence to inference condition. That is, a person's salvation is made evident by one staying faithful to Christ throughout one's life. Now, we are called to faithful service each and every day of our lives. And I want to read a quick story. I'm trying to keep this short, but I want to read a quick story that I think is very powerful. It's about a, it's about a man by the name of Asbel Petrie. Asbel Petrie served as a pioneer preacher in the Cumberland Mountains of eastern Kentucky in the early 1900s. One day, an author interested in writing about Petrie's uh, spiritual adventures visited him for an interview. He asked during the visit, what is the greatest single thing that has happened to you during your long ministry in the Cumberlands? 
Petrie pointed out, uh, pointed to a white church clearly visible on a nearby hill. He said, two Sundays ago, I was the guest of honor at services held at that church. As we entered the building, the ushers gave each person a red rose. When the services were almost over, the pastor asked me to stand. Then he said to the members of the congregation, If Brother Petrie was the one responsible for your finding Christ as your Savior, come up and pin a rose on him. Petrie said that they started coming from every direction of the room. They pinned roses all over my coat, down my pant legs, all over my back. I felt like a blooming idiot. But I would not trade those roses for all the hardwood in those hills, nor all the coal beneath the surface of the land, or in the gold in Fort Knox. Most Christians have probably never heard of Asbel Petrie. Uh, however, thousands like him have remained faithful to Jesus. Thousands who may not have their names and lights. Thousands who may have never penned a, an author to book, but who have remained faithful to the calling of God wherever they've been. I, I remember being told this before. Uh, and uh, uh, Patsy Boo told me this many years ago. Bloom where you are planted. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. Bloom wherever you're planted. Wherever station God has put you, uh, wherever he has placed you, bloom to the glory of God. And this only comes if we have this confidence and hope that is found in Christ Jesus. Now secondly, we see that Jesus' covenant is superior to Moses' law because of a hard-hearted souls. Now, in verses 3 through 7, we see that people were hardened to God's voice. Now we read, Therefore, as the scripture says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, they tried me, and saw my works for forty years, Therefore I was provoked to anger with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. So here uh, the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95, 7 through 11 and three things quickly stand out. One, Hebrews quotes the verse with the superscript as the Holy Spirit says. He understands that the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of Scripture. And uh, the, as Bart would say, the, the writers of Scripture are actually the secondary authors. The primary author is, is uh, God. Secondly, Hebrews begins with a quote of today. Uh, so the author of Hebrews is applying the text in, in Psalm 95 over to the condition of the people in the present day. So apparently there were some people who would harden their hearts uh, against the will of the Lord. And uh, how many of you know today that it's very possible, if we're not careful, to harden our hearts against the plan of God, against the will of God, to harden our hearts even today against God himself? And so many people say, well, I can't hear the voice of God. Well, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is, has we, is have we hardened our hearts against God's will? Are we open and willing to hear from God? Uh, that is a very important question we all must ask. And then lastly, in the quotation, the conditional if is used. This sets up an if-then statement. If one thing occurs, then a result will follow. If, in this case, is hearing God's voice through the Scripture. If you're open to hearing, you will hear from God. If you harden your heart, then you won't. Now, verses 8 through 9 
stay the, say, uh, give the result of this, uh, as we mentioned. If you harden your heart, this comes from a willful rebellion of God's call or instructions. Hardening comes from a person living in disobedience to God's command. And continual rebelling may lead to some type of punishment that God may bring to us in life. As in the day of rebellion, this is referring to the Hebrew people in the day of wilderness. Uh, and so the rest of that is pretty well applicable. We don't need to really necessarily go through this. Uh, we see that the uh, 40 years may have elapsed from the time of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection to the time that this was written. As such, Hebrews may be drawing a parallel, the writer of Hebrews may be drawing a parallel between the 40-day wilderness and the uh, hardening that was going on in the early church at that stage, at that juncture. So we, this is something we all must take care of. Um, this is a concern we all must have, not to quench the Spirit of God. Uh, because even as believers, if we are obstinate against God's will for our lives, it may be that we quench the Holy Spirit, and it may be that we don't hear from God. Uh, and, and oftentimes when we don't hear from God or when we, uh, when we have problems like this, uh, we have to sometimes ask if there's something, if there's a stumbling block between us and God. It's not always the case. Uh, but sometimes it is. Verses 10 through 11 say this, or actually we read this. It says, uh, does God become angry? Yes, but this we see that God is angered when we continually go astray in our hearts. Uh, and this, and we also see that the Hebrews did not know God's ways. This, this, They were not allowed to enter his spiritual rest because of their obstinate rebellion against the Lord. And quite honestly, we may not find peace in our lives today if we remain in rebellion against God. Now, going on, verses 12 through 13, people were deceived by sin. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of you, uh, there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Here's a warning, okay? We, we, we've got to stay focused on God, okay? Um, verse 14, For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end, the reality that which we had at the beginning, or had at the start. So, um, verses 12 and 13, okay? Uh, this, this, this poses a distinct issue of theological interpretation, is Hebrews discussing salvation or sanctification when he talks about turning away from the living God? Uh, the, this brings the question, brings to mind, were the Christians, uh, were the people Christians uh, or unbelievers? So Paul used the brother in the same sense when writing to the Galatians uh, in Galatians 3.15. Hebrews is describing the process of sanctification in this sense, but two things must be noted. Okay, We can stunt our sanctification process with the Lord if we turn away from the Lord is what he's saying. While sanctification is a work of God, we can impede the process by quenching or stifling the Spirit of God as we find in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Willful disobedience brings about the judgment of God upon one's life and or spiritual oppression. Continued rebellion for the believer can lead to even to an early demise. It's not always the case, but it can be the case. So not number two, not everyone who professes to be of Christ truly is. Okay? And here we find a parallel 
to Jesus' parable of the sower in Matthew 13. I want to read this real quickly, Matthew 13. And I'm trying my best to keep this under 30 minutes. We'll do the best we can to do that. Uh, but uh, 13... All right. So Jesus tells a parable. So um, he says, Listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the paths. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one who is um, now the one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word; it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. So he gives this parable indicating that there was a sower sowing seed, and uh, some of the seed fell on rocky soil, was burned up. Some of the seed uh, was was thrown on a path and eaten by birds. Some was uh, thrown among thorns, was choked out, and some was sown on good soil and was accepted, received, and grew a bountiful crop afterwards. Jesus, in this regard, is pointing to the gospel message. He is stating that with some people, some people may readily receive it at first notice. They, they may think, hey, this sounds good. But when the worries of the life and things come along that, uh, that, that threaten them or, or maybe detract them from the calling of God, then they easily fall away from their faith. Okay, In this sense, Jesus says they never really took root. And so I think there's a correlation between Jesus' parable of the sower and this teaching as well. There are people who fall away, but in some cases it may be that the person never legitimately had that salvific faith in their life, even though it appeared that they did. This is just one possible explanation of the text. So the writer of Hebrews would scoff at the notion that some people have that they can worship God by themselves uh, you know, without uh, you know, without without need of of, of communing with with other believers. Uh, so, um, you know, obviously, obviously, our our worship is important to God corporately as well as it is individually as well. Verse thirteen, verse fourteen. People were endangered by apostasy. And we see this in verse 14. For when, for uh, we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that which we had at the start. Okay, uh, Genuine participants, genuine people who are genuinely saved are those who endure to the end. They don't endure to the end by their own power or by their own will. They endure to the end because of the saving grace given by God to them in their lives that, that uh, perpetually keeps them until the very end. Again, I would say, in my opinion, I know different people have different opinions on this, but if a first person falls away completely from their faith, then there's a question, did the person ever truly receive? Some say yes, some say no. All right, so verses 15 through 19, this will close out our study. Uh, people were guilty of unbelief. So verses 15 through 17 say this, As it is said, today you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For um, 
For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out against, out of Egypt under Moses, with whom God was angry for forty years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Okay, so there are four questions, or actually five questions, that he that he presents in the in the concluding verses. So the question is, who has heard and rebelled? The readers and hearers, and and he's reflecting on Psalm ninety-five through this. The readers and hearers of Hebrews already knew the answer. It was answered in the second question. The second question, uh, this question answers the previous question. And everyone rebelled against God except Moses, Joshua, Caleb, and a few others. The rest of the people in the wilderness proved to be faithless to God's commands. How remarkable. How fascinating. God spared them from oppression, yet they remain faith, unfaithful to God. God spared them from the oppression found in Egypt, yet they still rebelled against Him. And beloved, many times I think we're guilty of the same thing, if we're honest. Okay. Question three, with whom was God angry? Well, the question is answered by the fourth question. God was angry with those who continued in sin and rebellion against God. While the people had a marvelous beginning, they had a miserable finish. Hebrews is calling us all to finish well. Fight the good fight. You know, we all have different seasons in life. We all have different uh, moments in life that God uses us to do different things in different matters. But stay faithful to God through it all. I, I had a good friend of mine last night as we were talking about finishing up the classes, moving into this final phase and uh, or the final phases of the Ph.D. program. He said something that really made me think of this passage of Scripture. He said, trust the God of process. Trust the God of process. And I think he's absolutely right in that. God has a process to our lives. He has seasons. He brings us forward, uh, brings us through uh, the different seasons in life. Trust God throughout all the seasons of your life. And then in verses 18 and 19, we conclude, And to whom did, did he swear that he would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The fifth question is the final question. To whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest? Verse 19 serves as a capstone to this lesson, saying, Unbelief of the people, the unbelief of the people, is what led the people away from enjoying God's spiritual rest. And I would just say a few things. I think ultimately this is talking about the heaven that we find in the afterlife, the heaven that's prepared for all of us who believe in Christ. But I believe there's there's even a further admonition in this passage of Scripture. I believe that there are many of you who may hear the sound of my voice that don't have any peace in your life. I believe that there may be many of you out there today who have not entered into the spiritual rest of God because you are assuming responsibilities that only belong to God. It's not your calling to judge every person on earth. It's not your calling. It's not your calling to, to have to fix everything in life because you don't have that authority. You don't have that ability. You, you've been given a small portion of a task to do for God, and God, if you're faithful, God is going to use you to do that task, task, and is going to bless over you and keep you in a powerful fashion. But understand this: we can only find spiritual rest by trusting in Christ. We can only find that spiritual rest. And I believe there are many people 
who don't find that rest because they are assuming the responsibilities that only belong to God. I don't know who needs to hear that today. Maybe I believe there may be someone out there who does. So enter in the spiritual rest that God has provided for you. So let me close out with this. A few applications. Be sure you're following the will of God rather than personal opinions. Okay, Personal opinions are nice. But in the end, what matters is not your opinion on, the, on an issue. What matters is the truth of the issue. Second, seek to honor God in all your pursuits. No matter what you do, do it for the glory of God. Three, do not neglect regular attendance and worship. Uh, I think that's very important. Uh, number four, be sure to encourage fellow believers and hold one another accountable. Uh, we, we need accountability with one another. And that's, that's what regular... Uh, having a regular fellowship with, with believers can do. Number five, understand the consequence of blatant rebellion and the hardening of your heart. It's possible for all of us to harden our hearts against the will of God. Thus be faithful in, in accepting whatever God has in store for our lives, to trust Him, to have faith and depend upon Him, no matter what may come. Number six, do not feel the need to live in constant disbelief or you may you may miss out on the rest that God has for you. And lastly, understand that while salvation is assured, your spiritual development is not. And so by by allowing sin to enter your life, by being rebellious against the Lord, by quenching the Holy Spirit of God, you may not experience the spiritual rest that God wants you to. You may not grow and develop. You may actually spiritually stunt your growth by doing such, such things. So, Let's be faithful to God. Let's trust Him in all the things that we do. Uh, let's trust Him in all the things that happen in our lives and know that God is working out something good in the end. We may not understand why we're going through some of the seasons we are today, but trust God in the process, as my good friend said. Trust the God of process. He will see you through, and He'll bless over you and keep you. He'll allow you to enter His spiritual rest if you trust and depend upon Him. Let's close with a word of prayer. To kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your bountiful blessings upon us. We thank You for the ability to study Your Word today. We pray, Lord, that You would help us all to find that spiritual rest that's necessary, that we need and we desire and we crave. And help us not to quench the Holy Spirit of God, but help us to grow and develop and be the people that You've called us to be. We again thank You for Your love and compassion. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. God bless and we'll see you back next time as we go through Hebrews chapter 4. We're talking in Hebrews chapter 4 about Jesus, the supreme physician. We'll do that next week. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. 
We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Did you know that you can help the Bellator Christian Ministries by simply leaving a review? If you are enjoying this podcast, help us out by leaving a positive review on the app where this podcast is found. This helps increase the exposure of the podcast and helps others find it more easily. If you enjoy this podcast, leave a review. If not, send me an email. Either way, we want to thank you for supporting BellatorChristie.com and the Bellator Christie Podcast.